are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point number nine of Tennis Bets Podcasts. I am one of two hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9 Tennis on X these days. You can find our show on Spotify, Apple, pretty much where you can find any podcast. If this is your first time listening, chances are you found us. Welcome in. Hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, welcome back. With me, as always, is... My man in Canada, tossing it from where I am, to my good friend up north, Mr. John Reed. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand at Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ. He does tennis form recaps. I believe he's in charge of uh, Guadalajara and WTA land this week. John, welcome in. Thank you. Thank you. We back, baby. I'm uh, I'm covering some to Guadalajara. Not in charge of it. I think uh, we got another writer that's, that's setting the assignments and splitting things up for us. But yeah, doing a bunch of Guadalajara. Let me tell you, you learn the difference between quick conditions and quick courts really fast when you watch them play in Guadalajara. The women don't play at altitude very often, and it has been a pretty ugly week. But that's that's expected sometimes when you're up 1,500 meters. That's like a mile above sea level. You're in a mile high city. It's going to be tough when the ball sails so easily to to reduce the unforced errors. Much better to watch the men's stuff if you got a time zone that permits it, where they're on quick courts. You still get like flashy shots and, and good redirection of pace without balls sailing nearly as much. So it should be a fun week of, uh, of quick court tennis. Yeah, I dipped my toes into that quick court tennis with uh, Alicia Parks plus four and a half yesterday. And <laughs> uh, my toe was severed off. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, six two, six two ons. Good ons, yeah, I guess. All right. Um, John, we always kick it off with our accountability segment. It's been a minute since we've been on the mic, so we took a little bit of a break. Uh, much like the tour itself, although we had Davis Cup, uh, which was a thing that happened. Um, but we're going all the way back to the US Open final. Uh, wins john smartly played novak every which way he could lay in the games minus one and a half sets i believe he had a a, a single game parlay for the u.s crowd uh, a bet builder for the uh, international crowd those all cashed congratulations john no no that builder didn't oh. i had three three after nine games and medvedev decided to hold every game but one of the first two when he went down immediately. And then after that, it was like, no, I couldn't break him for two sets. I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks, Daniel. But uh, other than that, I did have the read on the match uh, to get the bet builder in. But that's what happens when you predict outcomes and you don't evaluate prices, um, I suppose. Well, overall positive. But the outright came in. Yeah, overall positive for you on mm-hmm. that one. The double faults prop uh, we talked about over 11 and a half. That comes in as well. Losses, uh, I burned a half unit on Medvedev, Moneyline, plus 215. I guess what was frustrating was how, I don't know, the term is an academic because, you know, some people would argue it was a pretty tight, tense match. But, I mean, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, straightforward. <laughs> it was a pretty straightforward Novak win. Uh, not a lot of drama. The no tiebreak prop, which we were hot on, does not come in as well. Of course, they play a tiebreak. Part of that straightforward nature we're talking about uh, it seemed like it was seemed like it might be uh, an exciting tight match we had a tie break but uh it was really never in doubt for novak didn't that set take like an hour and a half i didn't watch and for all those who are gonna be like how could you not watch a grand slam final when you tweet about tennis all day because frankly i'm not interested in dino medvedev versus novak Djokovic. i'd rather watch nfl football i tweeted it i stand by it 
I think the people that are that would uh, slam me for it are probably more casual than the hardcores who, who probably understand my point of view a little bit more. So I'm not going to take shit for it. But I, I thought I heard that second set was like 90 minutes or an hour and 40 or some shit. The second set was and, an hour 45. Yeah. And I, yeah, I can't say whether it was straightforward or not. But I would ask people, was there ever a point where you're like, man, Medvedev's pulling this comeback off after Novak closed the first set? If the, if the answer is no to that, then it's a straightforward match, right? If, if you didn't feel like, man, Medvedev's taken over or he's he's really going to come back. He's got the leg and he's he looks like he's the better player now if that didn't happen then yeah it's straightforward and it's just i just find medvedev to be too boring to sit and watch for three three and a half hours like i tuned in to watch the last bit of it on my computer watch novak win it and hold the trophy that was awesome i don't need to watch three hours or an hour and 45 minute set of medvedev trying to push his way to a tiebreak win no thanks as someone who had it on alongside NFL football, at no point did I feel like the match was in right. doubt for Novak, especially when, I mean, immediately broken to deal with in the first set. It's like, well, this is over. <laughs> uh, we're two games in. <laughs> anyway. All right, John. Well, we're turning the page on the U.S. Open run, and we're moving towards a couple tournaments this week in China, which we will hop into after I talk to you about Spotify for podcasters. All right, John, let's kick it off with uh, ATP Chengdu, a little tournament overview. We have, like I said, we have two tournaments this week that we will talk about, and the ATP is back in China for the first time since the pandemic. The first one we will talk about will take place at the Sichuan International Tennis Center in Chengdu, China, a little bit more inland in China uh, of the two tournaments this week. It's an outdoor hardcore 250 event that came onto the scene back in 2016. The last champion was in 2019, and that was Pablo Carino Busta, who beat Alex Bublik, who was back in the draw off a completely clownish USO tour run. Man, that guy took the money and ran for an entire two months. Uh, I'm sure two appearances at the UTS events uh, or some nice cash in his pocket. So there you go. Other champs here include Bernard Tomic beating Fabio Fanini in 2018. Yeah, Dennis... <laughs> is there now if i challenge you to find a more clown show final matchup i mean you'd you'd really struggle to to go beyond tomic fanini and you know i love them both they're so they're both so skilled and when they're playing well and they're both making you know a run like that what it probably was a great final i can't remember it off the top of my head probably because it's overnight for me oh, jesus christ tomic and fanini in a final wow dennis easterman won in 2017 yeah, Dennis Easterman took Den- Novak out of first round of the Aussie Open a couple of years ago. Second round, fourth round, something like that. Karen Achanov beat Albert Ramos Vignolas in 2016. So short history here. Uh, not a lot of uh, tea leaves to, to read. It's kind of a hodgepodge of names there. But uh, traditionally, these are quick hard courts. Uh, in fact, when the tour last left, uh, it was rated the fastest tournament by Tennis Abstract uh, back in 2019. John, you've been grinding tennis for a while i'm sure you you bet on chengdu uh, back in 2019 uh, what do you think about these courts yeah i mean i could pro- i still have the 2019 tab on my on my spreadsheet that's in my bio up there so i mean if you want to cross reference the dates you could probably see exactly what i bet on in chengdu that year look it they're fast courts and i mean laying games now i did this in zhuhai and it's not going to be advisable as a general rule but as always context matters and matchups matter laying games is probably not going to be fun and if you can find early in the week I suppose, or middle of the week, but early in the tournament because of these Wednesday starts. Locally, Tuesday starts here. If you can find 22 and a half to pick off early in the week between two remotely decent servers, it's just, 
I hate saying blind bet them, but like once you filter through potential injuries, if you get two servers that aren't great on return and you find a 22 and a half, you have to hit them. Like these are quicker courts. We haven't been here for four years. I would not put it past the books or the market to potentially let slip a few mispriced numbers below 23 in certain matchups. It would not surprise me, right? So that's the first thing I'd say. You've got to be careful laying games. I did it today with Dali Boris Ficino. We'll talk about that in Zhuhai, but... Again, I, I the first set overs, your tie break props, your tie break first set props, like all that kind of stuff should really be looking at, at those types of bets. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to mention one right now. We'll get to individual matches later, but I haven't seen the individual price point yet on Benjamin Locke and what his Asian handicap would be or his uh, spread, pardon me. But against Mio Kichmanovic on a really quick court, if the conditions, you know, are pretty warm as well, which tend to liven things up, Bedlock is a serve bot and he's not a good one, but serve bots of these conditions landing 65% of their first serves are going to cover five and a half, five game spreads, even four and a half game spreads. I would imagine the market is wise to this by now, because again, these matches happened overnight. Odds probably came out and have been bet uh, into place a little bit, but I actually don't see any, any odds on that yet. So watch for that. Those are the types of matchups you want, right? Find your ITF low end challenger tour servers that might qualify in like Ben Locke did. Uh, and look to exploit the plus games markets against a seed or a more well-known player, but someone who isn't particularly great on quick courts, like, you know, Miamir Kachmanovic. Uh You mentioned the weather. Uh, we can talk about that real quick. Uh, weather-wise, it's going to be cloudy, but uh, in the 70s with high humidity. So not overbearing uh, heat, but uh, with the humidity, the you know, it's going to be uh, somewhat tough to battle through. It uh, looks like we might get a reprieve from the rain, but uh, who knows? No more than... 24% chance over the days coming up. But uh, like I said, high humidity, 70, 80% humidity in those conditions. Uh, typically, the, the rain is a little bit unpredictable. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, let's dip into some draw talk here, John. We have Alex Zverev as the top seed here. Lorenzo Mustetti is the two seed on the bottom half here. Grigor Dimitrov is the three seed. Dan Evans is the four seed. Wow, we really, it's like a, a stair climb down in terms of, <laughs> of seeds here. Um, we had some action last night with Roman Civilian beating Brandon Nakashima. Nakashima continues his poor 2023. Thinking back to our season-long bets show way back when, and the over for Nakashima's ranking was 26. He's now a world 81 and sinking. Mutet, who in one of the ATP Media Day, like build your perfect player, Daniil Medvedev uh, picked Mutet for touch, which I found interesting. We also had Terry Daniel taking down Atlanta star Alex Vukic. This looks like it's pretty well set up for uh, Mr. Zverev, who seems to be trending up. What do you think about this draw off the top here, John? Yeah, for me, it's uh, it's it's very robust here. I mean, I know that it sounds crazy to say, but for him, I, I saw him at a plus 175 when I did uh, a preview for my patrons the other day. That was ridiculous to me, and not because it was too short, because it wasn't short enough. I struggle to see who really takes him down enough here for him not to be at least a 40% chance to win this title. The quarter is super weak. The fellow seed here is Miramir Kichmanovic, who's in poor form and is not great on quicker courts. You know, Mute hasn't been great, and it doesn't have the biggest weapons to kind of push off or, or push back a solid returner in Alex Zverev. Zverev's in fine form. I mean, maybe Dimitrov would be my one concern. Like, the other more likely guy in this half of the draw, honest to God, was Alex Vukic, and he's out. 
Like if Vukic had a good serving day on these courts, maybe he gets to tie breaks and, and, and like steals one or two of them. That was that was one of the most realistic paths I had in my mind for Zverev not to reach the final. The other is obviously Grigor stopping him. I don't know if you can get the plus 175 still when you hear this, but I will tell you it should not have been at plus 175. Um, I saw a friend of the show and former guest uh, from one of the slams, uh, Zico, Zach Cohen, wrote this up, I believe, for tennis.com uh, in the game bet game set bet or something like that that he wrote up to take Zverev at plus 175 totally agree with that take it's just a fairly weak draw and in the bottom half there isn't really a ton of weaponry to beat him either is Lorenzo Musetti going to stop him like the two most realistic options in this whole draw are Grigor who he's really owned for years now and Alex Bublik if he cares and that is a gargantuan if considering we're playing a 250 here and he would need to win four matches just to get there I'm not seeing it. I think Zverev here is a play any, all the way down to plus, I mean, probably below plus 150. I, I could make a case he's closer to, to 45, 50% than 40. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't hate going all the way down to like a plus 125, plus 130. I, and it seems crazy to me, but in this field, he may as well be a, a Djokovic or Alcaraz relative to the rest of it. He's still plus 160 on Bovada. So, yeah, not, there you go. That's a play not, for me. Not too depleted. We mentioned Bublik. You know, Bublik has given. Zverev trouble in the past. He's beat him twice on different surfaces in quick conditions indoors uh, before in a final. I just question, like, is Bublik, like, invested again? I mean, man, this guy, like, he had that great grass season and then completely phoned in everything since. <laughs> so it's hard to trust him. But uh, they do have him 16 to 1 here uh, to win this. Uh, he does have, I mean, not a super tough match, but I mean, I always give Marcos Giron a little more respect than the most people do. Uh, and then certainly if he's going to continue his clownish ways, uh, Giron can beat him. We but, saw it this season, ahead. right? Like two and four or something like that. One and four. Where, these two played, like I swear these two played during the, the hard court swing, I think, and and or maybe during the clay season. Either way, Giron beat the crap out of him. I'm pretty sure in a clear tank from Bublik. It was Geneva. Yeah, six love, six four. So we've seen we've seen him do it in this matchup before. They also well, Clay, I mean, Bublik's not really a clay guy. He kinda hates it. He also beat him on clay. It's altitude though. And Giron's not a clay guy either. So I I I'd watch that. It was I just mean like the way it went down that first set. I was watching that because I one, I bet on it. Uh and two I think that was one of my tennis form matches. And I'll tell you, it was like the way Bublik played in the first half was that's why some people still think he's an embarrassment to the sport because it was that first set. So, you know, 250s, Alex Bublik, two weeks before our Masters event in Shanghai, Geneva was the week before the French Open. I know this is more his speed in terms of the court speed and, and Shanghai is not a slam, but I don't know, man. I wouldn't venture into the waters of trusting him to get to a final to potentially stop Alex Verov. I'm going to talk about this third quarter here because I see a price out there that I think is... Pretty juicy, and we started a year talking about him quite a bit before he had a dip, and and he's been resurging. Zizou Bergs is twelve to one to win the third quarter. You're telling me Zizou Bergs can't beat Dan Evans? I mean, I feel like well, Purcell obviously has been playing really well. I would think he would be, you know, all things considered, probably um, the favorite here. But if he gets by Leovich, I feel like. He could probably beat Purcell, or he has the ability to beat Purcell. Purcell's a little bit more consistent, so he would need to redline a bit. Now this is where the rollover comes into play. But if he gets by Purcell, I mean, he can he can beat Dan Evans. He certainly can beat Dan Evans, I guess is my point. Purcell would be his toughest matchup. What do you think about Berg's uh, at the 12-1 to just for the quarter? I think that's... 
I mean, that's like plus 750 as the, ne- as the next guy uh, up. I don't know. Am I crazy here, John? Nope. That's one I picked out as well. It was 80 to 1 to win the tournament. I said, I don't know if I trust Zizou to string together that many matches. Uh, so the quarter would be the way to look. And I, I agree. I think there's there's a, a couple guys I think that could all make runs in this quarter. And this is why I, I found it tough to actually bet anything because Thompson, Purcell, Bergs, and Safulin on a quick court. And Evans, you know, Washington's relatively quick. His serve plays up a bit. He still has that uh, kind of consistency from the baseline. I could make a case for all of them to make a run in this quarter. So if you can make a case for almost anyone to win it, you're certainly you're certainly not betting the favorite or the second favorite. You're looking at a guy like Bergs at, at 12 to 1. Is he as established? No. Is he as proven? Of course not. But is his talent there? Is his does he have probably the I'll go out on a limb and say the best serve in this quarter that's left? It's very possible he does on super quick courts and in quick conditions if it's going to be warm all week. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if every, if everyone's got a fighter's chance, I'd probably want to take a longer price with a really solid serve. Absolutely. For so plus 550, I mean, that's not terrible either, considering his form. Uh, five to one to win a few matches. Uh, I just hate that that first match against Thompson. They both played well in the summer. They both like fair. courts. I, I love that match. I, that's a match I'll probably go back if it's on tennis TV, which it won't be because it's on an outer court. And they don't they don't show those at two fifties because it's stupid. Even though you pay the, for the service, uh, I would have liked to go back and watch that, but it won't be on until about one o'clock in the morning. So that's a no go for me. But if I could watch it, that's certainly one to watch. Or if you're in the European time zone listening to this, that'd be one to watch in the morning with your your breakfast and coffee. Fourth quarter, I'm picking out. Arthur Rendiknich, plus 800. Mentioned these quick conditions. He's a serve guy. Not exactly anyone in this quarter that's like, I mean, Rusevori, tough first match. Like, he could easily lose that. But Rusevori is like quintessential dog or pass guy. This guy could lose straight sets to Rendiknich. No one will blink an eye. Then, like, Nuno Borges, like, terrible. Musetti on quick, hard court. Come on. Uh, Bublik would be the toughest out, but Bublik is plus 375 versus plus 800. That seems pretty long for a guy who could just hold his way through a few matches. Yeah, I think, like you said, that first match is tough. When the points are shorter, Rusevori is going to look a bit better, but at the same, by the same token, so will Rinderkinesh. And if you're going to talk about that being a really, really close matchup because of it, I mean, this is another match I, I talked about maybe looking at a, a tiebreak or looking at an over. Because Rusevori is at his best when he doesn't have to play prolonged rallies and hit, you know, one of 55 airs because he can't play eight balls without smacking one three feet long. And that th- these are the perfect conditions for it, especially against a non-returner like Ritter Kadesh. So for me, I think the tie breaks in that an individual match are probably a, a decent look, whether it's over 0.5 in the match, the first set, uh, over one and a half in the match. I don't hate that look. If, if Rusevori redlines and beats you, okay, you lose anywhere between one and a half to 3% of your bankroll if you split you know, you're, you're wagering between all of them and you don't have to lose all of them, right? You might hit two out of three and you're still profiting, but even if Rusevori clips you, that's fine. I just think that there's a really good chance that we see those types of, of bets come in in this particular matchup in these conditions. But yeah, again, Brinder Kinesh is, is a solid look. Um, and I will agree that I don't think these are the best conditions for Muzetti, but I do want to give him credit to, to come down and play at a 250 on quick hard courts. One, it's going to help him get re- ready for Shanghai to help kind of s- somewhat simulate those quick courts. That's the quickest Masters event we had back in 2019, even more so, I believe, than Cincinnati, which tells you something. So this is a good way for him to get some more reps. And he has, like, his serve has looked a little more potent on hard courts in recent times. And, and that's a byproduct of playing more on that court. He's getting his reps in. I love this, this scheduling move from Lorenzo Musetti. Whether he wins a match or not, I don't really care. I think the 
every rep he can get in a manageable draw like this instead of only playing the Masters events or the Australian Open or the Australian events where even the 500s are and 250s are congested with big names because everyone has to get their warm-ups in and there's a, there are a limited number of events. He actually has a chance to get some wins here. Right, he can beat Seculich. He can beat Borges. That's good for confidence. That's good for building momentum, and it's good for adding more reps down the line. Right. So instead of playing one match in Australia or and then two at the Australian Open, now he gets two here, maybe one or two more in Shanghai, and he's starting to build up that repertoire, that kind of base, that foundation for quick court play. So while I agree, I don't, I don't love him here to win his quarter or the tournament. I certainly think it's it's a respectable move from uh, from Musetti. Now, it could be for money. It could be an appearance fee, and I could be an idiot. But <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, with the information I have, uh, I do think that, that this is a, a smart move for him for his career. Well, let's dip into some match play talk here, John, uh, and let's kick it off with that Rindrick-Nitsch-Rusevori uh, matchup. Uh, Emil Rusevori is a minus 210 favorite. Rindrick-Nitsch is plus 170 as the dog. The game spread is three. Total is 23. And I feel like at plus 170, that's a pretty tempting price here for the big serving Frenchman. John, anything uh, for you in this match? Yeah, I mean, you can get narrative with it if you want and talk about Emil having played three matches over the weekend in Davis Cup, all three first sets. You know, I hate, I, I'm not a trendy and 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 narrative guy. You know that. But if the trend fits with his game style, it's kind of applicable. If he's going to go play three matches indoors, play three first sets that were all decided by tie breaks, and then each of the second sets was decided by a singular break, right? So all three all three matches were won by a singular break. He won two of them and lost one. All against decent players with pop. It, it just screams that this is going to be close as well. And if, again, you want to get a little narrative with it, he was in Europe over the weekend. And you mentioned in our chat that this is probably why they're starting Wednesday. And it might be because that European flight over to um, the Asian countries is long. It's changing time zones by another five or six hours, just like, East Coast to, to Europe, I believe, because they're 12 hours ahead from where I am now. So that's a big journey. And so they probably get a couple extra days for Davis Cup, uh, which they didn't used to do, but we didn't used to have this fixture uh, in Davis Cup either. So it makes sense. Even with those extra couple days, he played three matches and is making that journey. Now, I don't know if Rinder Kanesh played, but I do know that I love plus 175 which is available at 365. Uh, Rick, Rinder did not play. He hasn't played since the US Open. So I'm hoping he got there in advance at the start of the week. He's been getting used to the courts and doesn't have the jet lag that, that Emil could still have a few days later. I, yeah, I, I certainly think that uh, uh, Altur is a look at, at plus 175. I, I would have liked him in plus 135, plus 140 range. I know he isn't as talented as Emil, but this just screams about being a match, especially with both of their game styles and preference for quick courts and, and having big serves and powerful games. This screams to be an ultra-tight match. And I'd rather be on the side where I only need to hit, what, 40-something percent, uh, less than 40% to break even, rather than the side that would need, you know, 65 70% to break even. An agreement there. Chris O'Connell is a huge minus 550 money line favorite against Alebek Koshmazov. Yeah, I probably butchered that one. Uh, who is a plus 400 dog here. The spread is four and a half, total at 21 here. John, you're a, a challenger grinder. You, you kind of know these names do you know Mr. Alabeck here? And four and a half, is that a generous uh, spread for the favorite? Or might we uh, be dealing with some mispricing for the books here? I actually have it in that four and a half and five range. Just because is Kachmazov's talent strong enough to keep it within three or four games? Sure. The consistency is just not even close to being there, though. And I mean, this is his his qualifying campaign is almost like his career in a, like a microcosm of his career, 
right? I mean, he dominates Lee too, who is the much better player that he played in in qualifying and who actually plays pretty damn well in quicker conditions on the Challenger Tour. And he barely got by Zakharov, who I honestly, if I'm being complete, I've never heard of or I've ever watched unless he's changed his name. And you go back and I mean, you see the same kind of stuff. He's He's got some decent wins here and there spread throughout the season. He's got some horrible, horrible losses. I, I would have this at the four and a half or five mark. I think O'Connell by a firm break each set. And then you're almost kind of deciding, you know, he wins by two breaks and you're deciding, you know, the if he's going to serve first and either set to, to sit on that side of the fence. I don't mind that. I think the market's got this somewhere in the correct range. I could actually see it being a seven, six, seven, five win. I could just as much see it being a just as much as I could see it being a six, three, six, three win. Right. So anywhere from a three to six game range is probably accurate and dead stone in the middle of that four and a half. So. That's my that's my thought process on the matchup in terms of constructing the line. And I think the market's probably bet it into uh, efficiency if it's at four and a half. Uh, we mentioned Zizou Bergs. He is down from plus 120 to plus 110 on the money line as the dog versus Dusan Lajovic, who is minus 130 now as uh, the money line favorite. Now, over this is on Bovada. Over on Bet Online, he's down to plus 105. So I always think when, when there's a little discrepancy, between uh, bet online and the price is shorter for the dog on bet online versus Bovada, that's typically an indication of where the the sharper side is laying. So it seems like people are on the Briggs in this matchup. I, as I mentioned, I, I like him for that quarter price, and I I think I, I might just let that ride uh, in this match. Now that we're down to plus one ten, hopefully he he gets it through because I I like that plus. 1200 for the quarter more than i really like uh wasting more money on, on mr bergs what, what are you thinking john completely agree i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna back zizu you want to do it with a little bit of money that can profit a lot with and you know the back backing the talent you don't want to double down on a guy that can just as easily hit 40 unforced errors in an 18 game match and lose at 6363 there's no need to go to go beyond that that quarter price or maybe a, a small you know, starting your rollover with the same small stake uh, at plus 110, plus 105, and then move it on with a rollover. But either way, either stick to your rollover or stick to your outright. You mentioned Benjamin Locke. He is plus 600 on the money line. The spread is five and a half uh, versus Mio Kashmanovic, who is minus 950 on the money line. The total is at 19 and a half here. And John, uh, from everything we discussed, it seems like we have some low-hanging numbers uh, for Mr. Locke. Yeah, look. Is Benjamin Locke, like, you put this on clay at sea level, and, like, yeah, Mimir Kuchmanovic is six games better than Ben Locke. <laughs> like, he, you put this on a fast hard court, one of the fastest hard courts we've had in, in past years, th- it's not a six-game difference, right? I mean, it's all it all comes down to, you know, your matchup, your conditions, and particularly Kuchmanovic's form. Like, this is a guy who, you know, once Varias got his, his kind of feet under him and got his rhythm going at the U.S. Open... You know, Mio, he was hitting through Mio with the, on that forehand wing in, in his own right. He's got a kind of a, a, a more topspin heavy ball than than a flatter pacey ball. And I, like, I just, I struggle to see how Benlock doesn't construct enough holds with that first serve and forehand combo in these conditions uh, to not cover five enough. Now, look, again, he's not, if, he, if he's not landing his first serves, this could easily be a 6-2, 6-2 affair. But you've got to go again, likelihoods, probabilities. You've got to consider the fact that most players are going to land their first serve 55 to 70% of the time. And if, if Ben Locke does that, he really should cover the five and a half. Now, 
whether he does or not is not is not the point. It's all about trying to find decent numbers, and I think that that five and a half is plenty there. I would probably have this down at four and a half to five, and you know these are key numbers, right? Uh, at, at kind of this high of a of a, of a spread, getting a, a half to full game up here is is pretty nice. Uh, keep in mind, uh, Kashmanovich, I believe, lost his opening match last year in Seoul, one of the first uh, Asian swing. Uh, tournaments last year to uh, Kovacevic or Kovacevic. He lost to Kova, who that was kind of a, a surprise result. So uh, I, I definitely don't think these are uh, super prime conditions for, for Mio uh, in a vacuum. And especially with his form, I think S1 money line here, set one money line plus 375 uh, with a guy who's already had two matches here. Uh, maybe he gets out uh, a tie break over nine and a half for set is plus 120. I'm not saying Ben Locke is um, a lock here, uh, so, <laughs> but but uh, certainly certainly some certainly some nice odds here uh, to chase him uh, versus a poor form Kashmanovich on on a quicker condition hardcore. All right, unless there's any other uh, matches you'd like here, John, I'm going to pivot to the the next site. Uh, Let's do it. The second tournament we will discuss this week is another outdoor 250 event on the southern coast of China. ATP Zhuhai, the Zhuhai Championships, were held one other time back in 2019. Alex Demonor beat Adrian Manorino. I couldn't find a ton of data on this, so I'm going to lean on you here, John, to, for the court speed. Final with Demon and Manorino, I assume these are pretty quick conditions as well. you have anything on the, the speed here? Did you happen to catch anything last night it's it's nearly universal maybe there are one or two events you're going to find in this region of the world where you get slower courts it's just not typical right your busan challengers your souls your tokyos your beijings um your zhuhais your shanghais it's just the way of that region that courts are almost always quick they're being played this year on green set hard courts which are the same things you're going to find at some most I believe most Australian events, you're going to find that you found that in Cincinnati this year. I believe last year they were late cold. Uh, but, you know, typically your French indoor uh, challengers, a lot of the times use green set. Essentially, you're playing at, at a bare minimum on medium courts if they sand it, if they've, you know, put more sand in, in the mixture. And that's not something they typically do uh, in China and Korea. So, again, by process of elimination, understanding the region, understanding the, the normalcies in terms of their how the courts typically play and then understand the fact that we're on green sets we can we can pretty much surmise that yes these are going to be medium fast to fast courts weather-wise it's going to be in the high 80s it's going to rain lower humidity but uh thunderstorms are on the horizon so keep in mind that your money might get locked up uh, a lot of sports happening with football back uh, end of season baseball uh, i'm sure there's some plays to pick off here so uh, if you're going to be betting uh uh, you might be out of luck with that money for a couple of days thanks to some rain delays. So just keep that in mind. Draw talk here. Uh, Karen Hachanoff is the one seed. Cam Norrie is the two seed. Jan Leonard Struff is the three seed. Sebastian Corda is the four seed. So no one coming in with great form seed-wise. Struff, I believe, is coming back from injury. Uh, he did not play the U.S. Open. Uh, Hachanoff also kind of coming back from injury. He did play the U.S. Open, but uh, he's still 
on his way back from missing most of the summer. Cam Norrie's game has been missing most of the summer. <laughs> Sebastian Corda is like a mystery box. You never know what you're going to get. Super talented. That doesn't seem to matter much uh, in some matches. Norrie is the favorite at plus 450. Corda is also plus 450, so I guess a co-favorite here. Chonoff is plus 500. Andy Murray plus 600. Lloyd Harris plus 800. Struff at 9-1, to one, I think, is uh, not a bad look considering his 2023 and, and the conditions. Nori also a quick quarter at 11 to 1 and Nishioka at 16 to 1. I think those are all the uh, true real favorites to take this thing down. Nishioka had a great Asian swing last year, pretty much how he built up his ranking this fall last year. So certainly a name to remember, even though he's been in poorer form. Uh, John, any big takeaways here from this draw? Far too many question marks, especially with the favorites for me to get any, to see any kind of value on, on, you know, Hachanov. Corda, Struff, or Nori. Struff hasn't played since Halle. It's not even that he missed the U.S. Open. He hasn't played si- since prior to Wimbledon. That, to me, is a little bit tough to to kind of trust. Now, he's got a bye in the first round and a quasi-bye in the second round, unless Christian Garin somehow finds form a la Wimbledon multiple times out of nowhere on a quick court. I'm not holding my breath. But that quarterfinal's tough, whether it's Nishioka or whether it's Harris. Like, Nishioka's game playing up a bit, on, her, on, on a quicker surface and on, you know, in, in conditions he's comfortable in, right? This goes back to the kind of court speed discussion. Or whether it's Lloyd Harris, who we saw really look good a match or two here or there throughout the summer when his first serve landed. He lands his first serve against a potentially rusty Struve who has been only been tested by Garin or a wild card. And I am taking, like, Lloyd Harris to actually come through that matchup, especially if I get plus money. So I'm not huge on that. Obviously, like this is the biggest example of a 250 leading into a, a Masters where like there it is clear that people need form. Hachanov has barely played uh, in a long time and he didn't look great against Mo. Korda has not looked great consistently at all since he's come back. Struff hasn't played since prior to Wimbledon. And then Nori, who has made his entire career and built his ranking on rigid consistency from the baseline, point construction, working the ball back and forth, is now sailing neutral rally balls consistently. If he's committing blatantly like poor and egregious unforced errors, he is not a, a top 50 player, let alone a top 10 player. So like he desperately needs form. I don't want to back any of these guys to necessarily do it because to me that's guesswork and it's really tough to to evaluate these things as is he really better than 20 25 percent and the other part of it is do you really want to back a long shot here because there's also a very good possibility one of those four does end up getting a lot better or or finding that form and winning the tournament so it's a really like catch 22 i think kind of proposition for me where i just i haven't bet anything uh in juhai and I'll, I'll probably keep it that way what about mateo arnaldi 40 to one. I mean, this guy is uh, certainly a guy to watch in 2023. And I would say one of the more consistent players uh, in this draw, obviously, I think more of a clay quarter, uh, but at 40 to one, I mean, uh, a sprinkle on that for a guy that I think is trending up to be a a top 50 ish player. What is his ranking now? Yeah, he's already uh, 48 in the world. So 40 to one for him is is not a a terrible look uh, in the least. What's his quarter price? Eight to one for his quarter, not bad at all. Now, hate to admit this, but I also feel like Andy Murray might be might be in the mix this week. Oh, like he was the one bet I was going to make. Seriously, I was like, oh my god, I hate to say this, but quick court, the serve's going to play up. The return game is still great. His draw is very manageable with the way Nori's playing right now, and the way his serve isn't that kind of powerful in the first place. 
And then I saw the price. I was like, thank God I don't have to bet Andy Murray. Like, there's no chance I'm betting him as like a third or fourth favorite at what, seven to one? Six and a half to one? For the outright, You're, it was I, six to one. Yeah. Yeah. See, to me, I think that's correct, which means I won't bet it. But that also means he's something like that, what, 15 ish, 14 and a half, 14, per, 14 to 15% range implied probabilities. And that, that honestly might be a tad low for how weak his quarter is and how how good he's been in these later stages, like at just using that serve on a quick on a quick court and kind of limiting the physicality of these matches that he just he cannot play five ultra physical matches in a row. So, you know, the serve plays up, his return game still plays, and you can limit the the length of the points. That is a recipe for success for Andy Murray. And that is all I have to say on that because that is enough complimenting Andy Murray for me. Uh, yeah, well, unfortunately, John, uh, it might be uh, uh, all we have to say on this on this episode as my children are, are going crazy and um, I'm turning into a pumpkin. But we got some match play stuff and uh, some things to look out for draw-wise uh, for the second site. We'll try to be back later this week to, to go over more matches as well. Look for John at Tibbetts Tennis. He will have some plays uh, for you guys uh, as well. We can well, maybe maybe we'll hit like what do you what do you think about Shung versus Mackie McDonald here? Shung at plus one fifty five, Mackie at laying three games. Jeez, uh, yeah, I mean it's probably where I'd have it. I was hoping I'd get Mackie closer to like minus one twenty five, but clearly the market is is pretty well versed on on Mackie on a quick court being a favorite against an out of form Shung who kind of fades in and out and still uses a bit too much spin on on these types of courts so I think that's probably right and I'd, I'd leave it I'd lean towards laying the games but I mean again on these quick courts against Shung's the potential he has and talent he has probably safer to to leave it alone and just and conserve your money for for you know more optimal positions all right John uh we will be back uh later this week until next time follow John at Jared tweets tennis at Tibbetts tennis follow us at mp9 tennis do like and subscribe give us a rating review follow us on spotify if you would that would be a major help until next time see you in the court